0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cyberwire X, a series of specials where we highlight important security topics affecting organizations worldwide. I'm Dave Bittner. Today's episode is titled, Turning Up the Heat – Highly Evasive Adaptive Threats. The global pandemic has prompted an unprecedented shift in enterprise IT and security over the last two years. Remote and hybrid workforces and the accelerated shift to the cloud mean that business users are spending about 75% of their workday in the browser – and attackers have adapted their tactics, techniques, and procedures to take advantage of the expanded attack surface this new normal provides. In this edition of Cyberwire X, we'll take a closer look at browser based threats and vulnerabilities and explore the notion of highly evasive adaptive threats, which our show sponsor, Menlo Security, refers to as HEAT. A program note each Cyberwire X special features two segments. In the first part of the show, we'll hear from industry experts on the topic at hand, and in the second part, we'll hear from our show sponsor for their point of view. And speaking of sponsors, here's a word from our sponsor, Menlo Security. Trust is a wonderful thing, except when it comes to remote access. Back when applications were centralized with just a few remote users, you could trust they were safe enough. But with remote work and cloud-based applications now the norm, trust can only go so far. Only Menlo Private Access, or MPA, offers true zero-trust remote access to your private applications. With its elastic isolation core, MPA keeps users separated from applications. To gain access, users must be authenticated through MPA, ensuring every connection is visible and secure. Simple to deploy, scale, and manage, with MPA, remote work is both seamless and safe. Users have full access to the tools they need, but only those tools, and only once you trust them. To learn more about Menlo Private Access, visit menlosecurity.com/cyberwire. And we thank Menlo Security for sponsoring our show. To start things off, I speak with Daniel Prince, professor of cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Later in the show, I'm joined by Nick Edwards from Menlo Security for his perspective on highly evasive adaptive threats— and what he and his colleagues at Menlo Security believe can be done to stop them.
1: It's really interesting from a security perspective, um, looking at the way that the landscape's really changing. So it wasn't that long ago that we were really talking about bring your own device, and, and that was the big security threat. But with... You know, the the pandemic accelerating the move to online cloud-based services, it's, you know, it, it's sort of, for me, it's really about the, the bring-your-own-browser kind of the threat. We've lost, you know, we're not even worried about, or we've lost control of the actual device completely. And now it's the applications on the device, devices that we use on a day-to-day basis, that are providing that portal onto the, the work platforms that... Um, that, that we use and and we need to to survive in our, in our daily lives and so what's interesting there is that something that was an application is now the essential part for us to be able to to do our work and it was never designed for that and that's we've got a history of this all the way through from when we you know first started out we we had a you know an open internet and then we put firewalls in and Then everybody kind of said, well, firewalls are a pain. So let's just put everything over the open ports on the firewalls. So everything became kind of based on web communications traffic. And then we moved away from having static devices to mobile devices like laptops and tablets and phones. And everybody then started to bring those into the office. So we lost control of that. And now we've again, you know, we've lost control of those, the actual physical devices. And now we're just looking at these portals onto onto our work application. So it's a really interesting trend in some ways we're concentrating the risk in in more and more into into smaller and smaller areas and and this is part of the latest trend focusing the risk in uh, of security threats into uh, a web browser.
0: It strikes me that it's it's almost uh, as if the browser is an operating system onto itself where you know so so much is coming through it. Uh, so much is dependent on the ever increasing capabilities of the browsers, and of course, with that comes vulnerabilities.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it fundamentally comes down to the, this idea that the browser is is an information retrieval tool. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. what it was designed for fundamentally. So we're you know we're taking. You know, a, a flathead screwdriver and trying to use it for, for a, uh, you know, a, a star Phillips screw or a POSI drive screw. So we've got this, <laughs> right. we, we've got the wrong tool in some ways for for this. Um, and and that you inherently then get this issue that if you've got the wrong tool, you're going to get security problems because people have designed it for the, for a completely different purpose. And another example of this that, that that I kind of use when I'm teaching is is around GPS. I mean, GPS was a, is a global positioning system, and but to do that, it has a, a very accurate timing capability. And so, when these systems started to appear in ships or wherever else they're deployed, people went, "Oh, this is great! We've got an accurate timing capability, so let's use that for other purposes." but if you then start to corrupt that timing um signal then you can start to corrupt other signals and it's the same kind of issue here we've got a, a system web browser that's being used for a purpose that it was never intended and as you say the purpose is to to kind of act as as the uh, the interface to 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 an operating system and that comes with inherent problems and then you don't know, layer on top of that that it is Around the users using it, you know, it's not a, a system to system issue. It's a, it's a user interface issue. You get you get all of those additional problems of user security problems, uh, user security issues that that come along with that. I suppose
0: there, there's two sides to it because we talk about the the shift to cloud services and and so many of the things that we do in business day to day have uh, moved to the cloud, or or are provided as a service. And there are security advantages to that. But uh, at the same time, you're you're pushing things out there. Everything's coming through this one funnel that is the browser. So it's sort of a, a situation where, you know, things giveth and things taketh away, in a way.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you see a lot of organizations moving to this, this online environment, being able to provision once, a a good virtual machine that you know is securely set up and if there are any issues you can just roll it back to a known good state Uh, and that 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 comes with you know lots of really strong security outcomes but as you say and and sort of going back to some of the previous points it's concentrating the risk on this application um for which was designed for a purpose that that was never intended and so you get all the Potential security issues and, uh, and and you know data compartmentalization issues that we've we know how to fix in operating systems. and, in fact in other applications as well, but we've never really experienced in this way when using a web browser. And so those those interactions now of of the, the security issues, the isolation, the compartmentalization. The types of things that we've seen implemented in operating systems—they've uh, you know, to protect us uh, against malicious attacks—and now we're going to have to start thinking about how do we put those into a web browser because it is this this uh, really uh, useful uh, in, interface. And, and in some ways, it's, it comes down to this classic operational capacity versus security. You can never you can never have everything, and and it's depending on how much money you want to put in and. Uh, depends on how much resource overall you want to put in. Depends on the security and the functionality that you have, and the reliance on these types of web browser kind of models is that you're hoping that whoever is providing the web browser is doing a good enough job to provide the security there. But if you look at the plethora of web browsers that are out there, and if you talk to any web developer, you know they will they will complain bitterly about trying to support multiple web browsers to get mm. get get things that, get their web pages to work now we want them to be windows onto uh, operating systems and complex business processes so there's there's a there's a you know there's a real challenge there and and but fortunately i think you know one of the things that's going to really push the security forward is because we're going to start seeing a concentration of using web browsers for these types of services inevitably that means that you know web browsers are going to have to improve because as soon as one browser gets better with security the companies are going to mandate using that one for their for their company and then somebody else will leapfrog that and so we'll get into this almost like commercial arms race of um you know web browser hopefully web browser security increases
0: what about the, the threat actors themselves as as they adjust and evolve and target those vulnerabilities and, and in doing so become more evasive themselves
1: threat actors will go where the easiest target is generally that's the general rule i mean they they you know they're like any they're like anybody else they don't want to make uh, their lives difficult to achieve what they want to achieve and so at the moment the richness of the target of the the web browser and uh, because of the complexity of the the services that you can access via the web browser is driving them to 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 target it and that's because that's where the goal is going to be achieved the easiest and as i said the the underlying mechanism of the web browser was not designed for for this purpose, and so there are lots of really interesting exploitations that you can you can go at, and it's it's almost like this is the low hanging fruit, and it is of interest because of the the way that the web browser is now being used to to access you know the business processes or or the interesting information that individuals have access to.
0: Do you suppose this is the the shape of things to come that? Uh you know this this trend toward everything flowing through the browser is uh that's in our immediate future
1: yeah i i mean even at our university we've adopted this this model for access to certain university systems so uh, commonly when i'm accessing student record systems i will access I use a web interface to get onto a virtual machine and that that is built in a specific way that 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 provides assurances around security uh, and so it's not just these critical services, but we're starting to see an adoption of this type of approach for broader services that perhaps you would typically in the past run locally. And just because it's easy for the user, everything is in one place. And, and the process of making it easy for the user is is really important for, for that functionality. And so there will be you know the next stage on from that that this will force browsers and browser technology to develop and enhance and you will see I'm certain we'll see things like enhancements or accelerators for accessing these types of services and then we'll see how the the threat actors will take advantage of those in those enhancements and what's interesting around the the kind of the web browser interface for for me is yeah you know, this idea that actually, because it's just about information retrieval, uh, and certainly more recently it's about that kind of separation out so that you can't get that cross-contamination between different websites uh, and different information, it's still very much reliant on the underlying operating system and other applications to to protect it, whether that's the network information, whether that's detecting malware. But when everything is sitting inside that browser or targeting a machine that might be remote from that browser, and the browser is the way in and the portal onto that, the network uh, tunnel onto that, then you're going to start to see these new types of attacks. And specifically the protection mechanisms that we had or have are not configured or not set up to really be able to detect that. So it's a new way in. And so it's going to be really important to see how the underlying security mechanisms of like the operating systems and uh, malware services and so on adapt to be able to, to pick up these, these kind of evasive attacks that are coming in via the web browser.
0: That's Daniel Prince. He's Senior Lecturer in Security and Protection Science at the School of Computing and Communications at Lancaster University. Next up is my conversation with Nick Edwards. He's VP of Product at Menlo Security, our show sponsors.
2: Browsers as a technology have been continuing to increase in terms of their horsepower, their technical capabilities, what they can do for users. And I think that's driven by, you know, a a broad range of things, you know, not the least of which is the consumerization of, you know, what was historically kind of, you know, high-end enterprise IT functionality to make the web more useful and more kind of uh, meaningful for both users and people who are kind of marketing or selling to users. So things like dynamic creation of content that is targeted to you based off of cookies or or what kind of the, you know, vendor might be kind of aware of with your background and your profile. All these things make it so that the browser can give much more focused contents. It can change that content depending upon what the geography is or what the user is trying to do and, and make it more customized, you know, regardless of platform, whether you're coming in from a mobile device, whether you're coming in from a laptop, whether you're on a Windows machine or Mac machine, whatever it might be, just the browsers have become more powerful and their kind of innovation curve is probably, you know, one of the fastest in the, the broader kind of IT industry. And given where the browsers are, that means that customers and you know users who are accessing enterprise technologies are able to Capitalize on that to do their enterprise job. You know, I think when you look back, let's just say twenty something years ago, you know, in in the early days of technology, so to speak, uh, the internet. You know, you would go to work, and everything that you would need to do for your job was kind of located on that physical machine that you're working on. You know, whether that is Mm -hmm. you know kind of the spreadsheets, the documentation files, um, you know, any kind of advanced applications. Typically, all that was happening on your Desktop, your PC, and now all of that stuff, you know, typically is outside of you know your quote unquote desktop. Meaning, the data that you are accessing lives somewhere outside of you know your corporate you know boundary. Um, The applications that you're using are not necessarily hosted internally; they're hosted kind of on a third party SaaS platform, and your browser is rendering that functionality. So, I think it's kind of the, the marrying of the advancements of the browser from kind of an internet technology perspective and then allowing that to be leveraged for you know legitimate business use cases that really make kind of the browser such a central part of our jobs and our personal lives on a regular basis. I think the last kind of time we looked at the data, users spend 75% of their time in the web browser on a daily basis, whether that's kind of web conferences, whether that's using you know file sharing tools, whether that's kind of operating kind of a webmail interface, whatever it may be. And historically, what we've seen is bad guys go where the people are and they're going where the browser is.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think of my own uh, personal use and I, and I think it tracks exactly what you're describing here, how, you know, even things like uh, day-to-day stuff like email, you know, uh, where I used to have a dedicated email client on a, on my machine, it, it's it's a lot easier to do it on the browser and also there's that convenience of being able to not have to lug a computer home. I can just log in from my home computer or on my phone or, you know, so there's lots of upside to this but, but as you all are, are pointing out here, there are some security concerns as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, there are. I mean, what we've seen is like as the browser has become more powerful, the cyber criminals, the the hackers, the bad guys are taking advantage of that. And it just so happens that the network security stack is not designed to protect the browser in a way that it might be designed to protect kind of an end user's laptop or desktop. You know, the way... JavaScript operates the way HTML operates. The browser is basically another kind of almost like an an OS inside of the OS. You know, it it has the ability to execute code. It has the ability to do things that are, are pretty smart. And you know, the cyber criminals are aware of that. And that's one of the things we realized when we talked about this notion of heat. We saw these attacks that were occurring that were very adaptive, very advanced, and they were breezing right through you know, really extensive security, you know, tool sets that probably every large organization around the world had, you know, if you think about all the the ransomware attacks, or whatever it may be over the past, you know, several years, you know, when you're looking at a large fortune company, you know, pretty sure their budget is big, and pretty sure that in most cases, they can buy, you know, all the tools that they need, whether that's, you know, kind of a firewall, a sandbox, a very high-end, secure gateway, proxy, malware scanner, et cetera. And somehow these attacks were getting through that. And, you know, one of the big things that we've seen from a threat vector perspective is that they are essentially leveraging the inherent kind of virtues of the browser to do things like drop files or to kind of build payloads on the browser. So therefore, when it goes through the security stack itself, all the security stack sees is, you know, good old-fashioned JavaScript that is probably mm-hmm. You know, going to do what normally a good set of JavaScript would do. And so it's really harder for these tools to keep pace with that and to be able to prevent the ultimate rendering and execution of code in the browser in a way that would not disrupt the user experience and create all these problems from a usability point of view. And so I think that's one of the the big trends that I think underlines what we're seeing from kind of this highly evasive adaptive threats is that, you know, the, the cyber criminals, you know have had time to to really unpack and to to look for the weaknesses in the existing security stack and that kind of married with the advanced functionality and capabilities of the browser make it a really hard problem for kind of legacy approaches to solve
0: so you all are are using this term heat which stands for highly evasive adaptive threats can we break that into those sort of two component pieces as they sit in my mind, which is you have the evasive part and then you have the adaptive part. Uh, What are you all tracking in in terms of those two angles?
2: Sure. So, so the the evasive part is, is really around its ability to kind of evade the legacy security tools that are in customer environments. Hmm. You know, it's like, you know, if a bank robber is going to go to rob a bank, they're going to really study the bank. They're going to, analyze what tools they have and where are the cameras, where's the security guard, what's the shift, you know, where's the secret button that the teller is going to push, all these sorts of things. And they use the same approach when it comes time to trying to, you know, deliver ransomware or other things. They'll really spend time trying to research, you know, who the victim might be and understand as much as possible about, you know, kind of their security profile and, and you know, build Capabilities that will evade these traditional tools of you know firewalls, sandboxes, proxies, secure gateways, and so forth. And then the adaptive aspect is really around its ability um, as a as a threat to you know adapt to the environment to kind of you know leverage the capabilities that are you know existing and resident on that user's platform device, whatever it may be, to have a higher success rate at being able to ultimately kind of land the, the payload to deliver the, the drop of malware or ransomware whatever it might be. And so that's where you know kind of we'll see oftentimes that some of these attacks will you know be kind of OS aware. They will be you know kind of technology capable, aware of whatever the browser is doing, what kind of a browser it is, what hmm. version of it, so to speak. And, and all these things ultimately will will capitalize on this core ecosystem of the internet that we use on a regular basis. So it makes it really hard because you can't block, you know, all the unknown websites in the world because you will just break the way the internet works. And, and, you know, end users will complain to their IT department. Hey, I'm trying to go to my, you know, kids soccer teams, you know, registration site. I can't go to it. What's up, you know? So, and, and, and and the bad guys know this. So, so they'll do things like, you know, squat on URLs. they will buy URLs. they will just wait on them. They'll, allow them to develop somewhat of a kind of a a benign profile and URL filtering platforms, and then they'll strike, you know, and they'll use that knowing that, you know, the first couple of attacks they deliver will bypass any of that coarse URL filtering and ultimately have some success with that. So kind of really being adaptive to the, the attack environment that they're operating in and the users that they're going after and whatever type of technology they may have in place, you know, from the endpoint, the browser, kind of further upstream in the network security stack.
0: So, what are you and your colleagues there at Menlo Security advocating here? How can people best protect themselves against this sort of thing?
2: Well, so so in general, I mean, I, I do think that you know the industry has done well with these prior notions of defense and depth, you know, which means that hey, look, you know, you don't want to rely on any single tool to keep you safe. So, you know, do the smart things like you know multi-factor authentication. You know, it, it doesn't stop malware. Completely, but it's a good component to the tool. Endpoint security, EDR, these sorts of things. Again, you know, good tools to have, good hygiene, being able to do anything from a threat Intel perspective, you're gonna to want to be able to collect telemetry and analyze this stuff. So all those things are, are really relevant. But when you look at kind of the, the upstream set of devices that have historically provided security, you know, when you're talking about proxies and firewalls and so forth, there's a component of the defense in depth model that just doesn't um, deliver value to stop these types of attacks. And our perspective is that, you know, kind of a platform that is focused on the browser, focused on analyzing the the content that's in the browser and delivering kind of clean data is what's needed. And, And that's one of the things that we've done really well in terms of our investments in technology and intellectual property is kind of usher forth a new approach to this using browser um, isolation as a, as a key functionality. And and that's kind of our philosophy and our approach. And that's what we're able to deliver to customers today to keep them safe from these types of heat attacks.
0: What exactly do, do you mean when, when we're talking about isolation here? How, how do you define that?
2: So I would say most basic in terms of a, a comparison would be, it's, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with some of the kind of legacy approaches to security and, you know, military environments or federal government environments, basically you had, you know, computers, That were never allowed to be on the internet and they were never connected and they were used for a lot of internal applications and internal communications and then you had a set of computers that could be exposed to the internet and and those two kind of networks never touched you know so to Mm -hmm. speak they you couldn't go from one to the other you had to literally literally like go to another device and log in and do whatever you needed to do and that created this notion of kind of an air gap well isolation is kind of a similar vision of that, but much more capable and much more, you know, kind of competent in terms of what it's able to do from a security perspective without disrupting the user's ability to do their job using the internet tools that exist. And isolation, what it does is, instead of you going to, you know, your favorite website, your sports site, your news site, you basically go through kind of Menlo's platform. Our isolation core says, hey, you know, Dave is trying to go to this website. Instead of that web content going directly to his computer you know we're going to render it on our computers in our cloud so we basically have you know this platform that will render the content in a sense it's kind of able to deliver a clean pipe you know to the end user's laptop end user's machine kind of using isolation as a technology to do that
0: and what about from a a user's point of view how does this sort of thing uh, affect the types of things they may want to do on a daily basis
2: so I mean that, that's it's a really good question. I think historically, in you know, kind of various attempts to deliver you know remote desktops or kind of VDI infrastructure or whatever it may be, you know, usability hasn't been great. You know, and I think as the you know kind of web has improved and you know you can watch videos, they're highly effective and you know really well rendered and high fidelity. Or if you're looking at things like gaming or this kind of stuff or maps or any of these things, historically, kind of these remote desktop kind of VDI environments have really struggled to deliver a good user experience. So so when Menlo was founded several years ago, we realized that, hey, look, what's going in our favor? Well, bandwidth is only getting better, cloud computing is only getting more powerful, and browsers are only getting more capable. So we're able to kind of dovetail and leverage those trends to kind of take a step back, reinvent kind of how this type of technology should be delivered, to ultimately give a native user experience. Um, you know, we have millions of users on our platform all around the world in a varying number of capacities, whether that's, you know, financial customers, military users, um, you know, entertainment, media, technology, et cetera. And in these cases, you know, when they're trying to do their job, if you can't deliver a quality experience to the users, then, you know, they're gonna call the help desk. You know We all know like when we've had hmm. problems with rendering, you know, you call IT, hey, what's going on? I can't do this, you know, and then that will quickly get escalated. And the only way you can scale is by taking the time to do it and build it right from the ground up and not kind of try to bolt it on to existing functionality. And and that's kind of been our approach from from day one is let's try to deliver the best user experience, whether coming from an iPad, you know, an Android device, Windows or Mac, whether coming from a Chrome browser or an Edge browser, whatever it may be, and make sure that we are transparent to the users. And I think, you know, historically, IT has had challenges with delivering effective security because it will come at the expense of friction of users. And I think kind of this type of approach is, is definitely in kind of the realm of, you know, being able to deliver high-end security to get great security outcomes without compromising the user experience and their ability to do their day job.
0: Yeah, it strikes me as, as kind of um, you know, being able to uh remotely detonate all the websites you visit, <laughs> you know, for, uh, off-site, right? So you mm-hmm. you know, you know, they always say don't click the links, don't click the links. Well, some people need to click the links to do the, the work that they do, and this is a way to uh to have that happen on, you know, on on someone else's uh property but uh, still be able to to do the things you need to do.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's it's, it's very much um, one of the core pillars of the future world of technology, you know, in terms of safety and security is ultimately like, you know, it's going to be really hard to, to trust the wide range of websites and, and applications that exist out there. You know, even if they're good websites, the software developers may make mistakes and they may get compromised. That still happens, you know, mm. so, so you can't always even trust you know, the websites that have historically been known to be good. So you have to have an approach that will essentially, you know, assume that bad things can happen, you know, from websites. And if that's the case, then, well, how do you want to protect against it? Well, you you probably want, you know, some technology approach that is analogous to this, where instead of that content being delivered directly, it's kind of delivered by a vendor that can do it well um, and deliver secure content that doesn't, you know, disrupt the user's day-to-day you know, existence on a professional and personal basis.
0: What about the the actual security of this sort of thing? If if everything's being done remotely, uh, how do I know that uh, the the folks who are handling that remote part of it don't have access to my own things that I want to keep secret?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a great question. You know, I mean, obviously, um, the the industry you know has had challenges in this area before with respect to who's, who's watching the watchers, so to speak, you know, Um, and I think, you know, a variety of factors come into play there. I mean, one is prospects should really understand and, and, and kind of interrogate their vendors, you know, kind of longevity, who their customers are, what are the security demands of their customers and so forth. Um, So, you know, as an example, mental security, the department of defense is kind of standardized on our approach to, you know, kind of, browser security, you know, with an initiative that allows kind of Menlo to be, you know, kind of the front line of security for, you know, this browser isolation across a variety of our different service member organizations. And I think that kind of is a, is a very relevant third-party data point that that organizations should kind of look for when they're talking to any vendors. Okay, like, who are your most demanding customers and kind of what's their experience been like? And then I think on the other side of the spectrum is, is kind of Understand the, the, the company's compliance, you know, engagement. You know, as a as a vendor, you know, it's always a lot of work, and, and sometimes it's not trivial work to comply with things like FedRAMP or common criteria or you know any of the ISO standards and this kind of thing. But they mm-hmm. serve a very valuable purpose, and it allows for you know the broader market and industry to have a baseline of expectations, and they can quickly filter out. You know, who, who's able to kind of deliver on the security expectations from a process, procedure and technology point of view based off of these things. So I think kind of it's a combination of both of those things. And, and hopefully the industry has evolved its approach to trying to sell things and people are hopefully more transparent and, and operate with candor. And I think that the buyers have gotten smarter and able to kind of see through that and sift through that. So hopefully it will deliver a better outcome for everyone.
0: What are your recommendations for someone who's intrigued by this? You want to, you know, see if it's the right fit for them. What's How does, how should they get started in, in terms of, uh, you know, shopping around and, and seeing uh, what works?
2: Yeah, so, I, you know, our our overall, you know, perspective on this is obviously, you know, they should start with taking stock of, you know, what do I have in place? You know, are there any big gaps um, in terms of technology that, I, that I'm missing that my you know, peers are kind of best in breed, best in class, sister, brother companies have that I don't. And I think that's always a good starting point is taking stock of what capabilities we have um, and then thinking about the future and kind of where where is technology going and and using that as kind of to help guide their roadmap for what they're gonna deploy. We are strong believers in this notion of technology, um, of isolation technology to to solve these problems. Um, And, you know, typically when we engage with customers, you know, we give them the ability to kind of basically test or probe their own environment's susceptibility to these heat attacks. Um, We have some things we can run with customers in a consultative manner to say, okay, well, maybe you have some of the salt. Okay, well, well, good, we'll just run these couple of tests, and you can see kind of, you know, what level of security controls you have in place. And then you can also go a little bit further and get a better understanding of, you know, how much exposure you might already have in your network. And and that's all very important because one of the things we see in these heat is is primarily kind of about some of the the techniques, threats that people are, are doing to kind of bypass the security stack. But typically these attacks are often used for you know kind of ransomware payloads and that sort of thing. So I think use the opportunity to you know investigate your ransomware defenses as a as a vehicle to hopefully upgrade and try different approaches and and I think it's Einstein who's credited with the, the quote of, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, thinking that you're going to get different, different results. And and I think that should speak to security buyers from a way of, well, like what we've been doing isn't quite working. What are the technologies that I haven't had and that might be maturing in a way to solve some of these problems? And I think a lot of times that will kind of point back to isolation of the technology.
0: Our thanks to Daniel Prince from Lancaster University and to Menlo Securities' Nick Edwards for joining us. CyberWire X is a production of The CyberWire and is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity startups and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.